0: Hey, welcome to Life Church. We pray this blesses you and empowers you for your week ahead. We hope you enjoyed this message. Do not stand on my account. Well uh, good morning to you. Thank you. What a wonderful time we've had in God's presence and uh, how well the worship team and production team have led us today. Can we thank them, actually, once more? um, What an honor, what a privilege it is to be with you today. Um, Of all the places in the world that we could have been on a Sunday morning, uh, my wife and I want to echo what Jock said. Um, Bradford is at the top of our list. And... uh, I want to say thank you for making us feel at home for a number of years. This has not felt uh, like a foreign place to us over the years as we've come and, uh, and been here. It's always felt very much like home. And I want to say thank you to that. Thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, it's pretty neat that my wife is traveling with me, that she's here today. That doesn't get to happen very often. And uh, she's the best traveling companion. Um, it's way better than traveling by yourself. So I'm grateful she's here. And uh, we have three boys. She's given me three beautiful little boys. Uh, She did the hard part. I had the fun part. But she, um... (laughs) we've got three boys at home. Asher, who's 14, uh, Sawyer Cash, who is 11 years old, and uh, Clay, who is six years old. And they send their love to you as well. And uh, if it's all right with you, I'd love to jump into God's word with you. Um, as Pastor Jock said, I'm passionate about God's Word, and I'm passionate about His church. And I believe that if we'll lean into the Word of God, uh, He will speak to us. And that one whisper from God can literally change and alter the course and the trajectory of our lives. Uh, so if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to throw it up on the big Bible in the, screen, uh, in the sky, I think. So um, you'll be able to follow along. But I want to as well just say that I realize uh, without... Without invitation, I've got no business speaking into what I had no part in building. So, Jock and Shirley, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for uh, being our friends. And and Steve and Charlotte have been our big brother, big sister forever. And uh, we love you guys dearly. We're so grateful uh, for the relationship, for the friendship. And uh, thank you for today. Um, But if you got your Bible, uh, find the book of Jude, if you will, the book of Jude. Uh, It's in the New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. And uh, I love Jude. It's a short read, it's just one chapter. Um, but in my experience, uh, the shorter a book is, the shorter a chapter is, the more power packed it tends to be. And uh, the book of Jude is one you need to grab a cup of tea or grab a, cof- a cup of coffee with and-, and sit and read it. And then once your coffee or your tea is done, pour another cup and sit and read it and meditate upon it. Um, but Jude, Uh, He's one of the the prominent figures in the New Testament. And uh, one of his claims to fame, although he would never claim it as fame, is that Jude is the the brother of Jesus. Um, Were you ever compared to your siblings uh, growing up? Imagine being Jude. Jude, I wish you were more like your brother. Um, uh, That would be difficult. But Jude is one of the prominent figures and writers in the New Testament. And if we'll dive into his writing, I believe it'll speak to us. I wanna just give you a little bit of context before we, before we read. Um, every time we, we open the scriptures together, I endeavor to give context because echoing in the back of my mind is a professor from university 20 years ago that said to me, Harrison, text without context is a con. So every time we, we read, I endeavor to give some context. And um, Jude, he writes to New Testament believers, both past and in as well for us present today. So the word of God. It's living, it's breathing, it's active. It still applies to our lives today. And he writes to encourage these believers. He, he writes uh, to, to just strengthen them in the faith. You see, at the time of his writing, uh, Christians were the most persecuted group in the world. As a matter of fact, the, the government and society at that time had begun to try and force-feed to Christians uh, that their philosophy on life. Uh, they had begun to try and conform them into the image of society, into the patterns of their thinking and their acting. And unfortunately, what we actually see in the church at this time is some of the philosophies and practices of the world had begun to make their way into the church. And this is alarming to Jude. So he writes to, to, to encourage the believers and as well to tell them: hey, remain in the faith. He he reminds them of their salvation experience. At the beginning, and for 20 verses, Jude says, hey, stay rooted, stay grounded. You know the truth. Don't forget the truth. Don't be conformed to the image of society. And then we come to verse 21, and this is sort of the climactic verse here in the book of Jude, and I want to just read it to you. It's fascinating to me, and I believe it's actually probably the summation of what the Christian life should be. So Jude 1, verse 21, he writes and he says this, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, I love that verse, but I want to read it to you out of one more translation. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. I think it kind of highlights what's written there in the original language in the Greek. And this is what the, Pan- uh, the Passion Translation says. It says, fasten your hearts to the love of God. Right. Don't you love that? Yeah. Fasten your hearts to the love of God and receive the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us eternal life. So Jude instructs us as believers, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, fasten your hearts to the love of God. Now these words, these expressions, these superlatives that he uses... They're not on accident. They're specific and they're intentional. Remember, Jude is Jewish, and the Hebrew tradition, as they would write, is that they would paint pictures with their words. So when Jude writes and says, keep yourselves in the love of God or fasten your hearts to the love of God, he's painting this picture of being attached to something, but not just attached like if you get super glue on your finger and the other finger touches it, and now your fingers are attached. That's, that's, that's what he's saying, but it's not all that he's saying. Um, I I told you I got a six-year-old at home, his name is Clay, and and recently, I don't know how it happened, but he ordered this package and it came to the house and we opened it and it was full of those little toys, the the sticky hands that stick to everything. He took one of them and and he threw it as high as he could. Now it's stuck to my 20-foot ceiling and it's been there for 10 days and it's not coming down. That sticky hand, it's fastened to the ceiling. Now that's sort of the picture that Jude's painting, but it's not all the picture. See, it's not just being fastened or stuck to something, but it's for the purpose of strength. It's for the purpose of protection. It's for the purpose of nourishment. Think more of a baby in a womb that is attached, fastened to the mother by the umbilical cord. Not just stuck in there, but it's receiving nourishment and protection. Think, think about a, a bird and its little chicks under the wings of the mother, therefore, protection attached at the hip, if you will. Think about a branch and a vine, right? That branch is not just attached to the vine for the sake of protection, so it's not gonna get blown away by the wind, but also for the sake of nourishment. This is the picture that Jude is painting, and he's saying, Hey, believer, fasten your heart. Attach yourself, keep yourself in the love of God. That's the picture he's painting. You know the picture I see when I read that verse? My, my kids, um, I get them in the car some mornings to take them to school. And, and when they get in, I say to them, hey, buckle up, fasten your seatbelts, right? We know we, we wear our seatbelt. It fastens us to the car for the sake of protection, right? And I say, boys, buckle up. Are you buckled up? My boys are liars. They go, yes. But I know that they're not. And so I do what any good parent would do. We're backing out of the driveway and I do a little brake check. And those boys go. And they smash up against the seats in front of them. They learn an important lesson. It's important to be fastened. But I think Jude might even say more than being fastened, it's important to know what you're fastened to. And so he instructs us, he says, fasten your heart. And just pause it for a second. He says, fasten your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart. This is no small deal. You see, when the scripture talks about your heart, it's actually in reference to your entire being. It's in reference to your life. Jude says, fasten your, your heart. In the book of Proverbs, the, the, the writer would say this, that above anything else, guard your heart, because out of it springs every issue of life. So Jude says, your heart, it needs to be fastened to the love of God. I love it. He gives us a specific target, suggesting that perhaps there are other things and at times other loves that we try to affix our hearts to. You read the scripture, you read about other things like the love of money. Sometimes we affix our heart to that. Sometimes we read about the love of self or the love of this world. John the Beloved would write about the love of idols or the love of pleasure. And that's just to name a few things we see in the scripture. So Jude, our author here, he reminds us that in the midst of a crazy world, In the midst of a world that is trying to force feed its agenda to us, that in times of fear, that in times where it's not popular or in vogue to be a Christ follower, in times where it seems like you are being persecuted, it's in these moments that you need to fasten your heart or you need to keep yourself in the love of God. So what I want to do this morning is give you a couple of reasons as to why we should fasten our heart to God's love. And then I wanna talk about a couple of ways how we can attach our heart, fasten it to God's love. So let's start with the motives. Let's talk a little bit about why. Here's the first reason why you should keep yourself in the love of God. Number one, because God's love is something that this world cannot offer. God's love is perfect and it's unchanging and it's something the world cannot offer you. Look, we know this, but human love, in all of its glory, in all of its great moments of passion, at best, human love, it's a faint shadow in comparison to the love of God. For for how can the created outlove the creator, who, by the way, the creator is love? My favorite author is a guy named Brendan Manning, and he says this about God's love. He says, you have a better chance of capturing all of Niagara Falls in a teacup than you do understanding and comprehending the love that God feels towards you. Another one of my favorite authors, the Apostle Paul, he would say it like this in the book of Ephesians, chapter three, that when we gather together as believers, that the point is to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of the love of God for us. I love that, four dimensions of God's love. A four dimensional love in a 3D world. Someone goes, what, is that? what does that even mean? What are the four dimensions of God's love? How, how do you describe that? I describe the love of God by going back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You want to understand the four dimensions of God's love? Here's the width of God's love. The width of God's love is this. He loved the world. He loved the whole world. God loves people. What's the the length of God's love? What's the length that he would go to to show that love? Well, he gave his only son. He bankrupted the vaults of heaven. He gave his son. It's what we sang about this morning. Well, What is the depth of God's love? I'll tell you the depths of God's love that whosoever, the uttermost and the guttermost, that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish. And what's the height of God's love? I'll tell you the height that he pulls us to. He gives us everlasting love. Life. Again, a four-dimensional love for a three-dimensional world. And the love of God, it's perfect. We were created in this love, by this love, and for this love. Tell me what other kind of love can look at me and look at you and see every thought, every intention, every moment, past, present, and future, and still love us. There is no other love. Only one. And it's the unchanging, perfect love of God, which, which, by the way, is completely contrary to the way the world says love works, right? The world says that love is predicated on this notion of what have you done for me lately, right? It's this quid pro quo. It's this exchange, if you will, for example, we're liking that the next one is going to complete us, but people don't complete us. The truth is you're already a complete person. You remember the, the, the scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes says two are better than one, right? It's not two halves coming together to make one. No, two whole people. You plus me become one. And then it says in a threefold strand is not easily broken. You a complete person, me a complete person plus Jesus. That's how this is supposed to work, yet we run to relationship after relationship, thinking the next one is going to complete me, only to find out that the moment we do something wrong or the moment they get bored, that love is withheld. We run to social media because we love that little dopamine hit that we get every time someone double clicks and the heart pops up on our airbrush picture of life. And it feels good for a moment until a critical comment comes and we go crashing down again. Worldly love is predicated on what have you done for me lately? We run to job after job looking for an identity. If I can just achieve this rung on the ladder, if I can just get a little bit higher in society, I'll feel the love. I'll have the identity that I think that I need. And we get there only to realize we're not complete. This is why young men run into gang life, because they long for acceptance and belonging. But the scripture says that bad company corrupts good character. And we realize that we were created for something more. You see, the problem with worldly love is that it's motivated by fear and it's maintained by performance. What have you done for me lately? So I strive to be perfect in my performance. Because internally I have this fear that the moment I screw things up or the moment you get bored is then the moment you withhold and take that love away. And here's the sad part. Unfortunately, we take that earthly logic and we then apply it to our relationship with God and we go, oh man, well, God, his love must be based on my performance. And then we look at our performance and we go, oh, my performance is inconsistent at best. Like, there's a good week where I went and I read the Bible every day, so God must be happy with me. But then I go, oh, I went two weeks without reading my Bible. God must not be happy with me. Or I fell back into a familiar sin, and I'm inconsistent in my performance. So we go, oh, God must be inconsistent in his love for us. But actually, the Scriptures paint a completely different picture. Because we have to understand, it wasn't our performance that got us into relationship with God in the first place. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in our unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. That in our inconsistency, he remains consistent. You have to remember our position is in Christ, and we didn't do anything to get into that position. It was all God. He's the great initiator. The Christian life is lived from the place of response. We love him because he first loved us. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he gave his son to be the covering or the propitiation for our sin. He continues to love us with a perfect and unchanging love. The psalmist wrote about this, and I wanna read it to you. If you got your Bible, find the book of Psalms with me, please. Psalm 136. Psalm 136, listen to what the psalmist writes. He says this in verse one, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his steadfast love endures Forever. Verse number two, give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse three, give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse number four, to him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. Are are you seeing a pattern there? (laughs) Line after line, frame after frame. It's the same thing. It's a reminder that his steadfast love endures forever. And if you didn't get the point, you could read all 26 verses and you'll find 26 times we are reminded that the steadfast love of God endures forever. Meaning we don't live from a place of works trying to earn God's love. No, we live from the place of grace realizing that his love for us trumps our love for him. Here's a good practice for you. When you wake up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror and say, today, I'm going to let Jesus love me more than I love him. And if you'll do that, you'll find that you will actually grow in your love for him. And never forget that from God's side of the ledger, nothing can separate us from his love. We have that beautiful reminder, that beautiful verse in the book of Romans, where we're told that not death, not life. Not angels, not demons, not powers, not things past, not things present, not things to come, not height, not depth. No created thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, church, we we may not even be the people that we wanna be. If we're honest, we might be a long way from our goals. And when we look down at the scorecard, we might have more failures than we do achievements. We may not even be able to check the box that says wealthy, powerful, spiritual, perfect. Might not even be able to check the box that says happy. But I wanna remind you that nonetheless, you are still loved. You are accepted. And you're held in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jude reminds us, keep yourselves in that love. Fasten your heart to the love of God because it's the love that the world cannot offer. Here's the second reason why we need to attach ourselves, fasten ourselves to the love of God is because it'll make us more like Jesus. I don't know about you. I could use a little bit more Jesus in my life. It will make us more like Jesus. When you study the scriptures, you look through the gospels, you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you find that he dwelt in the love of God. He was full of love toward God. And then he went and he took and he expressed that love to a broken world around him. Jesus came to show us a, a new picture, an accurate picture of who God is. I think for some, even today, we struggle with that picture of who God is. Many think that he's angry, that he's aloof, that he's disinterested in our lives, disinterested into the, in the events of the world. Jesus came to shatter that paradigm and to give us a new paradigm. Jesus came to show us that God is near, that he's present that he cares, that he's willing to get down on his knees in the mud and the muck of life and touch the things that we deem to be untouchable and to love the things that we deem to be unlovable. That's who our God is. And the secret of Jesus' life, his ministry, was found in the supremacy of the love that dwelt within him. He showed that love. And the Bible says that that same love, the agape love of God, according to Romans 5 and 5 has been now poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and I'm telling you that if we will fasten our hearts to that love if we will allow it to flow in us and then through us to a world around us we'll find ourselves becoming more like Jesus do you remember the words of Jesus in John 13 John 13 35 he said this by this the world will know that you are my disciples by this the world will know you belong to me not by how many social media followers you have not by how much money is in the bank. He said, by this, the world will know by the love that you have for one another. Meaning that when I am fastened or connected to the love of God, I begin to see people differently. I begin to think about people differently. I begin to act toward people differently. When God's love is on display in my life, it changes things, changes my behavior, changes my thoughts. Listen, some of us, Our kids drive us crazy. And if we're not careful, instead of looking at them through eyes of grace, we can look at them through eyes of anger. And when that begins to well up inside of us, what we need to do is get alone, take a step back and be with Jesus and reconnect our hearts to his love. Because what will happen is he will change our perspective. And instead of looking at them like, little demons, suddenly we, we look at them and we realize that God has entrusted them to us and given us the absolute privilege of raising them and turning them into giants in their generation. Maybe you've got that person in your life that drives you insane. Can I give you some advice? Pray for them by name. You're like, I don't want to pray for them. I know. I've been there. There was someone in my life that drove me insane, and I couldn't understand them, and I finally said, okay, God, I'm going to take them in and I'm going to pray for them." And I began to pray for them by name. And you know what happened? God shifted my heart. God didn't shift their heart. God shifted my heart and my perspective. And suddenly I was reminded of how good God's been to me, but also reminded that that person that drove me crazy, that person was Jesus' favorite. And it was almost as if Jesus was like, "Wait, are you better than me?" That person's my favorite. How could you not show them love? How can you not give them forgiveness? When you're attached to the love of God, it it changes you. You become more like Jesus as an employer you know, with your employees, you're not just looking at them as a a means to an end. It's not just about making a dollar, but suddenly you look at your employees and, and you go, wow, these are people that God has entrusted me to shepherd them. You start looking at your business. How can I fund the kingdom? How can I do something that lasts on the pages of eternity? I'm telling you, when you're attached to the love of God, it makes you more like Jesus. But beyond seeing and treating people differently, how do we know if we're growing in this? How do we know if we're becoming more like Jesus? Well, I like to do what I call the love test. Maybe you could try it too. You remember that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, all this goes line by line. What I like to do is I read it and I insert Jesus' name there, right? First John tells us that, that God is love. So I, I, I put Jesus' name and I go, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not rude or proud or boastful. And I, I look at that and I go, yes. What an example. I, I, I love that about Jesus. But then I take his name out and I put my name in. And I go, Harrison is, pa- <sighs> Harrison is patient. And, <sighs> Harrison is not rude or proud. Or- oh, man. Harrison rejoices in the truth. Oh, bears all things, believes the best. Oh, no, no, does not believe the best. In every- and I look at that and it's a test. Harrison, how much are you becoming more like Jesus? Listen, the longer that we allow our hearts to be fastened to the love of God, the more these things begin to define us and the more we become like Jesus, which by the way, is the goal in the Christian life. The goal in the Christian life is not just to one day make it to heaven. Thank God for that. But the moment we made Jesus Lord, heaven was assured. The goal in the Christian life is maturity, where every day I become more and more like Jesus. Keep your hearts in the love of God. As my time is expiring, let me just give you quickly two two ways that we can do this, two ways to keep ourselves in God's love. Here's the first. You want to keep yourself in God's love. Meditate often upon who he is and what he's done for you. Meditate on who he is and what he's done for you. Can I can I ask you something? Has God ever done anything for you? In case you forgot, he's healed you. He's kept his promises toward you. He's redeemed you, he's saved you, he's brought you peace, he's given you wisdom, he's preserved your life time and time again, he's restored relationships. Some of you go, yeah, pastor, that sounds great, but, but he hasn't done anything for me in a long time. Did you wake up this morning? Better yet, did you wake up in your right mind this morning? Did you take air into your lungs this morning? By the way, that air is his. I'm telling you, God's been good to you. Here's the follow-up question, though. When's the last time you reminded yourself of how God has been good to you? When's the last time you meditated upon who he is? When's the last time you told Jesus, hey, you don't ever have to do anything for me again and I still love you and you're still worthy of my worship. You're still worthy of my praise. When's the last time you went on a long walk alone, just you and Jesus, just to tell him how grateful you are to him, just to remind your soul of how merciful he's been to you. And if you're struggling to figure out who he is, can I give you some foundational thoughts to go back to? Number one, go to the word. Jesus and his word, they're the same. You read his word, it will change you. It will remind you of who he is. Meditating on the word, I like to say like this, meditation's a lot like marination. Those of you that cook, you take your piece of meat, you put it in the marinade. The longer it sits in the marinade, the more that piece of meat takes on the flavor of the marinade. Can I just say the longer you spend in the marinade of God's word? The longer you meditate upon it, the more you will take on the flavor of God, the more you will be reminded of who Jesus is. Get in the word. Here's another foundational thing. If you wanna find out who Jesus is, spend some time praying, spend some time talking to him. Never go a day without hearing the voice of the master. And listen, I realize a lot of us, we make our prayer about giving God our lists and he cares about our lists. But if that's all prayer is to you, I'm sorry, you're doing it wrong. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And I believe God is always speaking. And if we're not hearing, the problem's not on his end, the problem's on our end. And maybe we just need to wait. Oh, we love that word, don't we? Maybe we just need to wait in his presence. Wait and listen and recalibrate and attune our hearts to hear his voice. We don't like to wait, but we have to promise that those that wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint spend some time praying here's another one get into community get into community we see more of Jesus together than we do alone we need each other that's the way God has wired this life up we need each other someone goes well I, I don't I don't like church I don't like coming there's so many people and it's loud listen if you think it's loud and you don't like people you're not gonna like heaven someone goes well if I, if I come to church they're gonna they're gonna ask me to serve and they're you know they're, they're gonna ask me to give and be involved yeah we will because we're better together as We get around each other. We comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the depth, the length, and the width of God's love for us. That's what this is about. Listen, the isolated Christian doesn't fare well in the day of trouble. In the day of trouble, the Bible says in Psalm 20 that God sends help where? From the sanctuary. He sends help out of Zion. It's a type of the church. We need each other. And then lastly, if you wanna fasten your heart to the love of God, if you want to keep yourself in that place, live with an expectation of seeing Jesus. Never forget, this earth is fading. It's temporal. We're just sojourners here. This is not our home. The book of James says that life's like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. There's a day coming soon and very soon where you and I will stare at our Savior and see him face to face. And we need to live this life while we're here on the planet sucking oxygen. We need to live this life in an eager anticipation of seeing Him, of seeing Him in that moment. There's a verse that I read regularly that I meditate upon. And I wanna end here. First Peter chapter one, verse three. I wanna read it to you out of the Amplified Translation. I think they'll throw it up on the screen. Don't wanna paint a picture. We're gonna pray and we'll be done. Peter writes, he says this, blessed, gratefully praised and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant and boundless mercy has called us and caused us to be born again that is to be reborn from above spiritually transformed renewed and set apart for his purpose to an ever living hope and a confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead we've been born anew into an inheritance which is imperishable beyond the reach of change and undefiled and unfading reserved in heaven for you, you who are being protected, shielded by the power of God through your faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed for you in the last time. In this, you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary. You've been distressed by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in your praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about that moment, that moment where we'll see him face to face. And then look at this, verse eight. Though you've not seen him, he's talking about us right now presently, Though you've not seen Jesus, you love Him. And though you don't even see Him now, you believe and trust in Him. And you greatly rejoice and delight with inexpressible and glorious joy, receiving as the result the outcome, the consummation of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you don't see Him now, Here's the picture I wanna leave you with as we live in this expectation of seeing him. As I read those verses, here's what I see in my head. That that moment where where that that man and woman are getting married, right? And and the groom stands at the altar. Usually he gets into the the church before before the the bride and and her party, and he's standing there at the altar with with the pastor and with, with his groomsmen. And there's that nervous energy, right? He knows that in a moment his bride's gonna come through that door and, and he loves her. He has an idea of how beautiful she's gonna be, but he doesn't, he doesn't know. He knows though when he sees her, she's gonna take his breath away. And he stands there and there's that, that nervous energy. And suddenly the music begins to play and the room stands and the bridal party begins to make their way in. And that nervous energy begins to grow when finally the bride comes through that back door. I don't know when the last time you were at a wedding was, but when I go to weddings, I don't look at the bride when she comes in. I always turn my attention to the groom. Because without fail, you see the moment. You see the moment just hit him. Where that's his beloved. And he knows she's beautiful. But when he sees her, it's like he's seen her for the first time. And she's so beautiful. And she's more beautiful than he could have ever imagined. And the love that he feels for her, he thought it was strong, but it begins to bubble up. And often it begins to well out in tears. And he's overwhelmed by the beauty of his bride. And he's overwhelmed by the love that he feels. I have a sense that's what it's going to be like. When we see Jesus for the first time, we know he's lovely, we know he's beautiful, we know he's kind, we know he's merciful. But in that moment when we see him for the first time face to face, we're going to go, oh, I didn't know you were that beautiful. I didn't know you were that kind. I didn't know your love was that great and magnanimous and that's why we will take our crowns and throw them at his feet and get on our knees and sing with the angels holy 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 is the Lord and if you want to fasten your heart to his... of our soul have you experienced that do you know it listen if you're troubled about the state of your soul I'm telling you there's a solution but there's only one His name is Jesus. He said, I'm the way I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the father. No one enters into salvation without me. And if you don't know Jesus, don't leave today without surrendering your life to him, but know what you're signing up for. This is not where I get to pick and choose the things in the Bible that I like and I apply those things and then I don't apply the things I don't like or the things I don't agree with. No, what you're signing up for today is total surrender. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the famous theologian, said it like this, the call of Jesus, it's, it's both radical and it's offensive. The call of Jesus sounds like this, come and die. Jesus said, anyone that wants to follow me, come on, just deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me come and die to your desires come and die to what you think is right come and die to your perspective on life and on the world and take on mine that's what you're signing up for because listen to me jesus will not just settle for a portion of your heart he will not just settle for a portion of your life he's either king of all or he's not king at all and if you've not surrendered your life to his amazing love don't leave today without doing it and I know some people go, well, let me, let me work on my life a little bit. Let me get it in perfect working order. Let me, let me get my ducks in a row. No, no. We come to him as we are. Here's the truth. God loves you right now as you are. Not as you should be, but the truth is he will not leave you as you are. The moment you surrender your life to him, you'll find out he loves you more than you love him. And he pours out his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit and everything changes. That's so radical. That's why the apostle Paul said it's like becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, everything becomes new. And if you've not experienced this thing we call being born again, salvation, total surrender to Jesus, his word, in his love, if you've not experienced that, I wanna pray for you today. For a moment, if it helps you, maybe just bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna give you a prayer and then the team's gonna sing and we'll, we'll close up church today, but get to three, would you just lift a hand so I know who I'm praying for? I'm not gonna take any more time. Here we go, one, two, three, all across this place, if that's you. I see that hand there and another one there and there and there and there. Thank you, you can go ahead and put them down. I'm going to pray over you, but before I do, I want you to begin to form words on your own lips, your own prayer. You're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I'm going to do it right. Listen, you're just going to have to trust that the God that made your heart is going to be able to decipher your heart in these moments and the reason I'm going to ask you to pray so you know from the beginning you don't need me to get to Jesus you don't need me to get to God you don't need a pastor you don't need a priest no, he's come to dwell with you you have direct access as he's poured his Holy Spirit into your heart but you need to pray a prayer of dependence a prayer of humility a prayer that says oh Jesus, would you rescue me? Jesus, would you save me? I need you and in the best way you know how if you'll pray that prayer I promise you God will meet you where you sit he will not turn you away Father, upon every life and every story, every situation and circumstance, I thank you that your Spirit is here. I thank you that you know us intimately. You know us individually. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that the Holy Spirit's applying salvation to people lives. I thank you for the forgiveness of sin. I thank you for redemption. God, I thank you that we can say it's ours by the sacrifice of Jesus. We put our trust in him, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, and today we call him Lord. We thank you for it. And God, I pray you bless your people. that you keep your people. that you cause your face to shine on them. God, would you be gracious to them? Would you lift your countenance upon them? and Give them your peace. In jesus name amen amen amen, amen. You thanks for here? joining us we pray you feel encouraged by this word we would love to hear from you so why not connect with us via the website at lifechurchhome.com or on our socials at lifechurchhome have a blessed week and we'll see you soon